You're listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church, a relevant biblical community. For more information, visit houstonsfirst.org. What a blessing to be able to join together. We're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 16. And just an amazing, I love that bumper to be able to see different people in our church. We could do that all, I mean, we literally could run a movie all day long of people that have made a difference. I just want for a minute, can we all campuses, I just want to cheer for our older members. Can we just cheer for them? Just how much we appreciate those. We have church members from 20, 30, 40, 50 years that have just made a difference for all those days. And that was just a, just a taste, just a small taste there of them. And so we're going to be in Romans chapter 16. And what we're going to do is we're going to finish the book of Romans today. We're going to finish the final chapter. We've been in a series called Remembered for Good, meaning that there's a legacy. We're remembered for a long, long time, but we're remembered for the good that we've done. We've looked at the men of Romans chapter 16, and that's been a great study. We've looked at the women of Romans chapter 16, and that was awesome as well. And now we're going to wrap it up, and Paul's going to give us some of his friends at the end of Romans 16. They're the folks that are in Corinth. Paul's writing this letter from Corinth, and it's going to go to Rome, and he's going to talk about these guys that are with him there in Corinth, which is going to be a great thing. But Romans, what a book of the Bible. William Tyndale, he was an Englishman, and he translated the Bible into English, was a reformer as well. He said, Romans is the principal and most excellent part of the New Testament. An English poet said it's the most profound work in existence. A French commentator, the, the cathedral of the Christian faith. Martin Luther gives us a little paragraph I want you to hear. Romans is worthy not only that every Christian should know it word for word, but by heart and should occupy himself with it every day as the daily bread of the soul. It can never be read or pondered too much. The more it is dealt with, the more precious it becomes and the better it tastes. And I can tell you after studying it for this year, I feel that way as well. Romans is 1 through 11, chapters 1 through 11 is basically doctrine. And then Romans 12 through 16 is application. And so we get all the things that we need right there in those two sections of good doctrine that leads to great application. That's the way that it should go. You don't just have doctrine for nothing. You have doctrine to lead to application. So 1 through 11 was doctrine and 12 through 16 is application. So we're going to jump in at the end of chapter 16, beginning in verse 17. Hope you'll take your listening guide, all campuses, and take some good notes as we finish up this book. It's an amazing thing. Now he's going to begin. He's going to give us three things about being remembered for good. The first one is going to be a warning, and the second two are going to be encouragement. Okay, so we're going to start with a warning, and then we're going to get two encouragements. Verse 17, here's what he says. The beginning of my little section here of my Bible says, warning against divisive people. I urge you, brothers and sisters, to watch out for those who create division and obstacles contrary to the teaching that you have learned. Avoid them. Because such people do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own appetites. They deceive the hearts of the unexpecting. It surprises you. Nobody plans on being deceived. With smooth talk and flattering words. Okay, that's where it starts with smooth talk and flattering words. So here's your point. Those remembered for good bring discernment, not division. Those remembered for good bring discernment, not division. 
So he's saying, I want you to be aware. I want you to be discerning. There's going to be divisive folks in life that come along. Now you can see that in church. You can see that in society as well. We live in a very divided society as we know. And there can be divisive folks that slip into the church, can slip into society as well and create divisions. He says, I want you, if you're gonna be a believer in Christ, I don't want you to be a division person. I want you to be a discerning person. I want you to be able to know the difference in lie and truth. I want you to be able to know the difference in darkness and light. I want you to know the difference in evil and good. And it's gonna come fast at you. So you're gonna have to develop your heart to be discerning to be able to understand that. That's baseball season. We all love the Astros. We even kicked off this series with World Series rings uh, from some, some former players in our church. And so that was an amazing time. Well, do you know how fast a batter has to discern whether or not he's going to swing or not? Has 1.25 seconds, not even a second, 0.125 seconds to be able to discern. This is a study done, done by California Berkeley to discern what he's gonna do. So he's standing there at the plate and here comes the pitch. He's gonna try to decide the location of the pitch, what type of pitch it is, curveball, fastball, slider. What is it, what's it gonna be? And he's gonna have to decide, do I swing in this moment? And it's 0.125 seconds that he has to discern. That's why you and I would get up there against a major league pitcher and we go, go ahead and pitch. And he'd say, I already did. You did. Oh, we just heard the pop of the mint back here. That We didn't even know you, you pitched it already. Well, let's try it again. Well, go ahead. Try two. That's what would happen. Okay. So 0.125 seconds. So how do they do that? Here's how they do it. It's called muscle memory. It happens in golf as well. They're not thinking about it. They react. And when they react, their hips, their legs, their arms, their body, everything turns at the right moment because they've done it so many times. So they can react that fast because they have muscle memory to be able to negate the speed that's coming so that they could get a hit. Do we have theological muscle memory? See, things are coming at us so fast, we have to be able to say, that's not right. That's not true. I might not be able to give you the exact verse, but I know that's not right. And to be able to say, I understand this is what truth is. This is what God has said about this. This is what's taking place. And if you don't have that kind of theological muscle memory, divisive people can get in and you'll go, yeah, I think that might be the way and we just walk off. And that's why we see so many people deceived in today's culture that you're like, wait a minute, I thought you were a believer. Well, there's no theological muscle memory. So how do you get that muscle memory? You get it by this. You get it by heart for God. A lot of people have that. Heart for God with good biblical teaching, okay? You gotta have both of those things. One is the emotions, one is the passion, one is the facts, one is the, yeah, let's understand this and really get it. Now. I want you to be under a lot of good biblical teaching. I hope that you, you listen. I hope I'm giving you good biblical teaching. That's my, my desire and aim and goal and mandate in my life. I hope you have other people that you listen to that's good biblical teaching. Here, let me give you a little tip. If it's brand new, it's not good biblical teaching. You stick with the 2,000-year-old stuff is what you stick with. You don't stick with the latest fads. That comes and goes. That's tickling of the ears, itching of the ears type of thing to help scratch your ears kind of thing. That's what you kind of want to hear, what we want to hear. You stick with the good old-fashioned 2,000 plus old stuff. And if it's not 2,000 old, then just go 6,000 old, okay? And get in the Old Testament. So we don't want to be on the, on the fad thing, right? And we don't want to be on the fringe thing either where we're off here and it's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's this guy over here nobody's ever heard of or nobody, da, da, da. 
And we don't want to be on the fringe and we don't want to be on the fad. We want to be in the mainstream of what the Word of God is teaching. So here's the deal. I tell people this all the time. Here's how you decide a good church. Do you bring your Bible with you? Do they open up the Word of God? Do they ever say, turn in your Bibles? If they don't, then keep on moving, keep on going to a different church. You're always gonna hear me say, turn in your Bibles. There's a Bible right in front of you in the pew rack. If you didn't bring one, you can take that home with you. Bring it next week. If you didn't bring it this week, that's okay. Just take it as conviction, all right? But to be able to say, here we go. Let's get the word in our lap. Let's open it up. Because if not, you will just drift into whatever I tell you. Just go, yes, 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 yes. Don't get on the fringe. Don't get with the fads. You stay in the 2,000 plus old documents here of the Word of God and let God teach you. That's how you become discerning. Because here's the thing, a divisive person, they create division and discord. That's verse 17. They also create, if you look in verse 17, obstacles, divisions and obstacles contrary, there it is, to the teaching that you have learned. There's theological muscle memory. Obstacles to the teaching that you've learned. Then it says, because such people do not serve the Lord Jesus Christ, they can talk a good game, but it's not the right thing, but their own appetites. So they obey their own appetites. They're self-serving, not servant-hearted, verse 18. And they target, the last part, they deceive the hearts, with un, they deceive the hearts of unexpecting, unsuspecting with smooth talk and flattering words. They target with smooth talk and flattering words and they attractive speech. Now, here's how the Greeks would put it when they would explain a divisive person. They would say this, one who speaks well, but who acts ill. See it? Speaks well, acts ill. Speak well is great. Acting as Jesus wants us and talking about the things of God, that's what it really matters. Now, why would Paul end with this as the last thing? After all he's talked about, why would Paul say, look out for divisive people? For this reason, and I'll quote D.L. Moody, the great evangelist, here's what he said, and I think Paul would say amen to this. D.L. Moody said, I've never known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people are divided. I've never known the Spirit of God to work where the Lord's people are divided. Now, I got good news for you. We are a unified church. We're unified in our campuses. I'm great buddies with all our campus pastors. We've got a unified staff. We've got a unified deacon body. We've got a unified leadership group um, with all volunteer leadership. Now, here's the deal, though. Division is not the same thing as disagreement. We can disagree. That's a-okay. We should have hearty discussion of disagreement in our nation, in our city, in our world, in our church. That's great. That's different than division. Do you see it? Because disagreement, you get two unified hearts together, and now you can come up with a better solution. So mom thinks it needs to be like this. Dad thinks it needs to be like this. They talk in the bedroom, then they come out as a unified front to the kids, and they've got a better solution on how to parent. Do you see it? That's different than mom's going left and dad's going right. That place, you end up with some uh, division. We want to have disagreement, but we want to end up with not division in that. So be careful so that we can avoid division. Now, he's going to take us one more spot of, of what happens here in verse 19. The report of your obedience has reached everyone. So the Romans are doing a great job. Therefore, I rejoice over you, but I want you to be wise about what is good. This is one of my favorite verses in Romans. Be wise about what is good, yet innocent about what is evil. The God of peace will soon crush Satan underneath your feet. The grace of our Lord Jesus be with you. He says, y'all are doing a great job, but I want you to be wise about what is good 
and innocent about what is evil. How do we develop our discernment? Well, we don't go for the fads and we don't go for the fringe and we say, stay wise about what is good and innocent about what is evil. Students, I just want to tell you, I just, I, I feel so bad for you for this reason. There are so many things you should not know that you know. Because our society has no respect for the innocence of children or students. So it's coming like a fastball and you don't have a whole lot of muscle memory yet as a student. And there are things you should not know that unfortunately you know. And that's the world we live in. And so when it says be innocent of things that are evil, but be wise about what is good. Students, it's coming at you. All of us, it's coming at us. So we've got to invest in the wise about what is good. I like the news. I watch the news every day. I follow the news. I want to be informed. I want to know what's going on in life. I, I understand all those things. But I see these news reports that I'm like, I don't need to know that. And so when I don't feel like I need to know that, I try to stay away from that. It's called clickbait. You know what that is? It's a headline that you go, wow, what happened there? And your curiosity makes you click, and then all of a sudden you're defiled. Do you need to know about every gory detail of a murder? No. Do you need to know about every sexual exploit of somebody wherever? No. But yet these clickbaits, it's actually in the dictionary now. Merriam-Webster's dictionary gives a definition of this. Something such as a headline designed to make readers want to click on a hyperlink. That's the web link. Especially when the link leads to content. This is how the dictionary defines it. Of dubious value or interest. The dictionary said of dubious value and interest. And let me quickly say, we fight against evil. That's, Romans is filled with that. But we don't need to be curious about evil. You see the difference? Curious about evil is what's behind door number two. Well, let me just go look. Oop, I didn't mean to see that, right? We've all done that before. Instead, let's fight against evil. Sure, of course. But to not be curious about evil. So students and adults alike, be very careful that you remain innocent of what is evil and wise about what is good. I was watching the news and they begin reports like this. Some of this content may be disturbing to viewers. Well, that's a good key to put it on mute and go do something else, right? They said it in one news report, and this isn't like crazy news, this is national news. Three times, I think they said it in a row, some content may be disturbing. Well, then why are you showing it to me? And why am I wanting to see it? Be innocent of what is good. Fight or innocent of what is evil and be wise about what is good. Fight against evil. Amen. Bible, 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 Bible. But don't be curious about it and stay away from it and let God do something great in your heart because that evil will turn into divisiveness, which will limit the word of God. Then he finishes in verse 20, he says, the peace, the God of peace will crush Satan under your feet. I just got good news for you. In today's world, God wins. God wins. God will crush Satan underneath his feet. It's an allusion back to Genesis chapter three, verse 15, in the beginning of creation days, right after the sin of Adam and Eve, he said, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. 
And so the crushing of Satan, that'll happen in Revelation. We've studied that book of the Bible. And so God will win. So let's not be divisive people. Let's be people of action and of victory in Jesus Christ. Now, let me take it, uh, give you just kind of a funny illustration just to bring it into our own homes for just a second. I went to a restaurant just recently, sat down at the table, was sitting at the table and they sat an older couple at the, the table right behind me. And so, you know, you don't mean to hear what people are saying at their table, right? You know, you're just, you hear what people are saying. And then if you like what they're saying, you do mean to hear and you start trying to eavesdrop a little bit. Like, well, what are they saying? They got to be interesting conversation. Go, let's see what happens there. And then, so I'm sitting there at the table. I'm not meaning to hear it, but they sit down at the table and this older couple, this must be kind of their place because they sat down and the older gentleman opens up the menu. He says, oh, I, this is a new menu. And his wife goes, it's not a new menu. He's like, well, I'm, he's not backing up at this point. He says, well, I think there's some new things on this menu. There's nothing new on the menu. And I'm listening. I'm kind of smirking at this point, you know, and then the waiter walks up to their table. So the dad, uh, the husband's going to take it up another notch. So he asked the waiter, is this a new menu? Because he's like, well, I'm going to the people's court now. I'm going to find out what's going on here. Because Meemaw's not going to tell me it's not a new menu because I'm Papaw and I think it's a new menu. And so he asked the, the waiter and then the waiter wisely says, yes, there's some new things on the menu. And he said, I knew it looked like a new menu. And she said, it's not a whole new, new, new menu. <laughs> and I'm sitting at my table and I'm like, Meemaw, give it up. <laughs> Nobody cares. So ladies, let me just tell you, your husband sits down and says, this looks like a new menu. You say, yeah, it probably does. It does look like a new menu. It might be a new menu, right? Nobody's got to set justice over the menu. And then Peepaw don't bring in the waiter, right? So we got division with Meemaw and Peepaw over, is there another piece of fish on the menu? Nobody cares. And you take that and you explode that further and further and further into a church and you end up with some fights. And Paul says, oh, Rome, don't waste what I've given you. You walk with God and you stay on the word of Jesus and you stay innocent of what is evil and you stay in what is good and you stay wise in that and God will do some amazing things for you because I can't use a divided place. I want to use, it was good when they dwelt together in unity. The second thing he's going to give us, here's your point, write it down in your listening guide. Those remembered for good give their lives away. Those remembered for good give their lives away. Let's see it right here in verse 21 through 23. Remember how Paul has been listing in our series in Romans chapter 16, all these people in Rome is who he's been listing. These are not people in Rome. I want you to understand this. These are people in Corinth where Paul is writing the letter from, okay? So it's kind of this moment when you go to a high school football game. Let's see if you know it. You ready? Here we go. We've got one side of the stand says, we've got spirit. Yes, we do. We've got spirit. How about you? The other side says, you don't have a lot of spirit, but you know what I'm saying. Okay. So I'm going to say on my side, just me, we got more. We got more. I got more. So it's going from Corinth to Rome and Rome to Corinth saying, we're saying it to you. You say it to us. Okay. And so this is the Corinth people he's talking about. He's been talking about the Roman people. This is the Corinth people. Check it out. Verse 21. Timothy, Timothy, we know that name, good old Timothy. Timothy, uh, my co-worker, Lucius and Jason and Sosipater, my fellow countrymen, greet you. Tertius, who wrote this letter, greet you in the Lord. 
Gaius, who is host to me in the whole church, greets you. Erastus, the city treasurer, and our brother Quartus greet you. All those guys, it's all men in this section, all these guys are in Corinth. And Paul says, these are guys that have given their life away for the gospel of Jesus. If we're going to be remembered for good, we got to give our lives away. Now, the first one we get to is this. We get to Timothy. Don't you know Timothy? Timothy was one of Paul's best buds. Timothy was with Paul in all different places. Timothy is, is Paul's son in the faith, he says in 1 Timothy. How amazing is that? Timothy, we love Timothy, one of Paul's most trusted associates. Now, here's the news I want to give you, a little announcement for you. In the fall, in the spring, next year or next school year coming up, we're going to do First and Second Timothy and Titus. Those are going to be three books of the Bible that we're going to cover. So I'm really excited because we're going to go from Rome. He ends with Timothy. We're going to have a summer series and we're going to jump in in the fall to First Timothy, which is going to be great. Now, let me show you a little tool we use. We had this years ago, but this is a periodic table of the Bible. We, we saw someone do this, kind of put it together for us, kind of neat, like the periodic table of elements and science. So we got the books of the Bible, Old Testament at the top, New Testament. Now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to gray out the ones that we've done as a church. So I've preached in the last 19 years, I've preached that many books of the Bible, okay? Now that's amazing. I think that's really incredible. We talk about being a relevant biblical community. So if you're wondering if you're getting just Greg's idea on Sunday, you're getting God's idea. You're getting the Bible. You're going to get verse by verse. We've gone through these books of the Bible, which is really exciting and wonderful to be able to do that. Now look, we're going to check off 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, and Titus. We're going to check those off. And when we get those done, we did John already, so I don't know if I'll get through all three of those Gospels more, but we did a Gospel, and then we only got five more books of the Bible, or excuse me, New Testament, and we're going to have completed the New Testament. That's an amazing thing to think about. So I hope that makes you feel safe. We're not on the fringe. We're not a fad. We're locking it in on the 2,000-year stuff here, and even older with the Old Testament. Look how many Old Testament books we've done. So Timothy is where we're going next year. We got Lucius is mentioned here. He's a guy of Jewish background. Acts chapter 13, verse 1, you can find out about him. Jason was from Thessalonica and hosted Paul when he was in Thessalonica. He was a Thessalonian Jew there. He's mentioned in Acts 17, verses 5 through 7 and verse 9. Saucia Potter is a, a fellow kinsman, a tribesman of Jewish descent for Paul, probably the same guy in Acts chapter 20. Then Tertius, kind of an interesting thing in verse 22, I, Tertius, wrote this letter and greet you in the Lord. I thought Paul wrote this letter. Tertius wrote this letter. Well, that's confusing. Paul dictated the letter and Tertius was his scribe or his secretary that wrote this whole thing down. So finally, Paul gets in and goes, Tertius, throw something in about yourself there. <laughs> well, I, Tertius, I wrote this letter and greet you in the Lord. Okay, Paul, what else you got? Here we go. We're back, right? So if you memorize that verse, you will know all of his writing in the entire New Testament of Tertius right there. So his name means third, it means three is what it means, okay? So it's third. I had a roommate in college, his name was Trace. Great roommate, love my roommate Trace, great guy, godly man, wonderful guy, Trace. And finally one day I was like, you're not Spanish, why are you named Trace? And he said, well, I'm the third. And I said, well, what's your real name? He said, Glenn Orville. <laughs> and I said, you stick with Trace, my friend, that's a good one. <laughs> Trace it is, I understand now. So this guy is not my roommate, but Strace. I love my roommate. I love Tertius as well. 
Gaius was the first person that Paul won to Christ in Corinth. 1 Corinthians verse one, or chapter 1, verse 14. So now he's hosting the whole church. That's pretty cool. And then Erastus is a guy, his name means beloved. He is the public treasurer of the city of Corinth. So he's the city treasurer, I should say. Um, it says right there in verse 23, Erastus, the city treasurer. So this guy was in charge of all the money of the city of Corinth. The gospel had made it to the upper echelons of society. That's cool. We need governmental people that know the Lord and love the Lord, right? And so Erastus, now I just want you to know, because I want you to know your Bible's true. Here's what you want to know. Your Bible's true. In 1929, they uncovered a paver stone in the city of Corinth. And here's what it says right here. Do you see Erastus on the top left? Erastus, that's this guy. What it says in the rest of it, uh, it says this, Erastus in return for his um, Adel, Adel Isle ship, I'm not sure how to even say that, which means a commissioner for the public works, laid this paver at his own risk. And so we've got this paver here that he said, and he was humble enough to say, I paid for this one, okay? I did this at his own expense. I said own risk, own expense to be able to lay this paver right there, which is great. So your Bible is true. They found that in 1929. Archaeology backs up the scriptures. A good archaeologist in Israel will go with a spade in one hand and a Bible in another hand and find exactly what was lived out there. Quartus, his name means the fourth. So we got the third and we got the fourth right there. So amazing thing of being able to do that. Now, let me tell you about somebody in our church. Because here's the deal. You know what's going to happen? Your life is going to be summed up in a sentence. Do you know that? You're going to get a 45-minute to an hour service. People are going to talk. People are going to sing. Someone's going to preach a message. And your life's going to be summed up in a sentence, maybe on your tombstone, maybe on the, the, uh, the uh, celebration of life guide, whatever it is. Your life's going to be summed up in a sentence. These people's lives were summed up in a sentence. What would your sentence be? What do you want it to be? Write it down and live in a way that that sentence would be lived out in your life because that's what's going to happen. We're all going to get a three-minute slideshow and a sentence. And let your life be remembered for good, the good you did and the legacy that you leave. I want to tell you about a lady in our church who's now with the Lord. I showed you in the bumper, some uh, video bumper in between the worship and, and the speaking time, showed you some people there, people in our church. We cheered for the older folks in our church have been here many, many years. We, we have a great church. We're a unified church. There's a lady in our church, sweet lady named Ethel Humphreys. She died one month before she turned 100 years old. One month before she turned 100. So I'm gonna just, I'm gonna just say she was 100. Can I just say it? She's 100. And so she died one month before that. Well, she went to our church for many, many years. And this is one of Ethel's Bibles here, okay? Just worn out. I mean, notes upon notes in it of things that she wrote. In the back, I thought this one little thing was kind of cute. She wrote down after one sermon, angels have wings. And she wrote down the verses of scriptures there. So she was fired up that angels had wings. And then in her Bible, this, this old Bible here, I found a receipt from Sam's Club, March of 1996. She couldn't find anything to take notes on for the sermon. So she pulled a receipt out of her purse and started scribbling down notes about the message. She wasn't going to be left without notes. She wasn't going to be left without a pen. She wasn't going to be left without her Bible. And so then she tucked this little receipt from 1996 into her Bible. And she's got her Bible here with all sorts of little tabs and writings. This is one of her Bibles. She's got a bunch of them. Here's another one of her Bibles right here. This Bible is what I, I want to show you as well. 
1980, our church decided that we were going to read through the Bible in a year. Some of y'all may remember this. So we got a little, I wasn't there at the time. I was 10 years old, okay? <laughs> and we got this thing here and it says, I'm reading through the Bible this year. And then on the back, you could check it off. And she checked off and she wrote the dates down. She'd read through the Bible before, numerous times before, but she checked it off and started reading through uh, the Bible and checking it off there. So then she decided she'd transfer that writing. I'll show you uh, here. She's going to list out right here. Can you see how many times she lists out reading through the Bible? Five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Do you see the numbers going down there? Notice the date. She'd write down the date with a hyphen, then she'd write down the next date. Just quick math going through it. About every four to six months, she would read through the Scriptures. Every four to six months, she would read through the Scriptures. Let me turn the page for you. We'll turn on the screens as well. And you'll see that it goes all the way down to from 1980 to 2020, she read through the Bible 86 times. Now, her family will tell you she read through it before that, so it's over 100 times she read through the Bible. Now, look at number 86 there, right by the logo of the Living Bible, 32320, okay, dash, and then nothing there. Why? In March, she began reading through the Bible, and in August, she died, and she never finished reading through it again. The night that she died, her daughter, they lived together so she could take care of her, woke up in the middle of the night and felt like, I need to go check on mom. So she wakes up, she goes to check on mom, and she finds, she goes in at four o'clock in the morning, and Miss Ethel is on her knees in prayer. And she says, Mama, what are you doing out of bed? I'm on my knees praying to the Lord. Well, you need to get back in bed. You can pray in bed. So they help her get back into bed. She gets into bed. They check on her at 4.30, and she had died. That's how you go. That's how you go. You go with a worn out Bible, having read this thing, not following fads, not following fringe, but with worn out Bibles and you stay on your knees before God until you see Jesus face to face. Can I ask you a convicting question? What does your Bible look like? Does it still look brand new and you've had it 10 years? Do you even know where it is anymore? Worn out Bibles by this lady of saying, I'm going to read through this thing. And you know what? You may not read through it a hundred plus times. I don't think I'm going to, but you can sure make a goal to read through it once in your life to be able to say, I'm going to get a power to this. That's how you give your life away. The third and final one, we're wrapping up. I know time is short. Those remembered for good prioritize praise. Those remembered for good prioritize praise. So those remembered for good they're discerning, not dis divisive. Those who are remembered for good give their lives away, spend time with God, and they minister to other people. Miss Ethel was a kindergarten teacher for 27 years. Then those that remember it for good will prioritize praise. Paul's going to end this big, huge treatise of Romans. People fight about Romans, get mad about Romans, divide churches over Romans. This big, huge, long argument is going to end in praise is what William Barclay says. Watch how it ends, verse 25. Now to him who is able to strengthen you according to my gospel and the proclamation about Jesus Christ, stay centered on Jesus. According to the revelation of the mystery kept silent for long ages, the Old Testament's gonna make sense when you put Jesus in it. 
but now revealed, made known through the prophetic scriptures, Old Testament, according to the command of the eternal God to advance the obedience of faith among the Gentiles, means let's live it out and walk it out. Verse 27, last one. To the only wise God, through Jesus Christ, to him be the glory forever. Amen. How awesome is that? The Bible, or excuse me, Romans ends in a doxology. You know what doxology means? Doxa means glory, splendor, grandeur. Logos means word or speaking or teaching. So glorious word. All the theology of Romans ends with a glorious word of praise to God. Isn't that great? Doesn't end in a fight. Doesn't end in a scolding about sin. Ends in a glorious praise to God, a doxology. How beautiful is that? Let me ask you this. Do you remember the doxology? You sung that before in church? You show the lyrics of the doxology. This isn't what came out of Romans, but it was written and published, first published 1709 by a man named Thomas Ken was his name. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. I'm going to take a risk here. You ready? We're going to take a risk together. We're going to sing it together. Okay? I'm going to get us started, and all I'm going to sing is praise God from, and then it, it's on you, okay? Because I'll ruin it. You'll be like, this is one terrible experience that I just had with Pastor Greg singing this. But I want us at the end of Romans to sing the doxology. Then I'm going to give you one point. We're going to wrap up and we'll be done. Ready? Praise God from... That's how Romans ends. So what have we covered? Here's what we've covered. Write it down in your listening guide and we're done. We've looked at 16 chapters. We've looked at 433 verses over 10 months in 10 sermon series, 33 different messages with unlimited impact. How cool is that? The greatest, what some say, and I would not doubt, the greatest piece of literature and doctrine and theology in the history of the planet, we just ended in reading and studying together. Students, I love that some of you are graduating seniors and you're going out from our church with Romans on your lips. Some of you are moving and you're going out with Romans on your lips and in your heart. And the way you become a person remembered for good is when you get into the Word of God and the Word of God gets into you and you say, Jesus, I give you praise. Let me close Romans by saying this. Whether it's Ethel or Paul, 
It first begins with a relationship with Jesus Christ and salvation. He died on the cross for you, paid the price for your sins so that you could receive him as savior and you could be assured of eternity your entire life. And then if you've trusted in Jesus as your savior, then you walk like Ethel, you walk like Paul, you walk like Timothy, you walk like Erastus, you walk like all these people. Phoebe, don't lose the letter. Don't lose the letter, Phoebe. Don't lose the letter of Romans, because if you lose it, then Augustine doesn't get it. Augustine doesn't get it. Martin Luther doesn't get it. Martin Luther doesn't get it. John Wesley doesn't get it. John Wesley doesn't get it. Robert Moffat doesn't get it. Robert Moffat doesn't get it. The people of Africa don't get it. People all over the world don't get it. Houston's first don't get it. And we could say, we didn't lose the letter, Lord. We got it. And it's in our hearts and it's in our souls. And Father, may we die on our knees in prayer, having invested in your word. And then, my friend, you will be remembered for good. For good and for good. Father, we come in Jesus' name, Lord. We thank you for the great saints of our very church. Oh, Lord the great people that have walked these halls. And we're standing on their shoulders. We remember them for good. And we come, Lord, at the end of Romans to just sing praise to you, to give it to you, Lord, to tell you we trust you. Would we read the Bible, Father, and get it in our hearts and souls. Would the covers of our scriptures be tattered and worn? Would there be ink all over it as we circle and highlight and star and write down and take notes and invest our lives in the greatness of your word? We love you, Jesus. We'll only get a sentence. And I hope our sentence is we love Jesus and we lived for him and everything else can take care of itself. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to the teaching ministry of Houston's First Baptist Church. We invite you to worship with us at one of our four locations, at The Loop, Cypress, Downtown, or Siena. Follow us on social media or visit us online at houstonsfirst.org.